Midday on the Rural Radio Network gets underway, and I am Dirk Christians, and welcome to it, surrounded by all of the folks who will be bringing you tons of information over the course of the next hour and a half or so, and we catch up with Susan Littlefield, uh, and we find we play our usual game, Where's Susan? But we find you in a winter wonderland today. And I tell you, I am a happy camper. Okay, most people are probably saying, shut up, Susan. But I am in West Point, and it just started snowing. And it's the first time I've seen snow this winter season. So the Minnesotan in me got a little excited. It was Uh like a Charlie Brown Christmas thing going on. Absolutely. I see it on our weather picture here. And uh, there's a lot of people across northern uh, Nebraska who are probably sharing that feeling with you right now. Exactly. You know, I'm actually in West Point for a foot-and-mouth disease training that's going on. We've got everybody from law enforcement to media to pork producers and companies and feed mills, and we're learning about what to do should there be an FMD outbreak. Uh, We get to play with farm toys later, Uh and they're learning all the different aspects of what we need to do at Incident Command to keep those producers safe. So that's fun. We'll have more coming up with an on-the-road later on today. All right. Uh, We are little... Yeah, uh, we, we, we are stretched are all over the state right now, too, don't we? Staffed everywhere. We we are. And so Shaley Peters right now is in Kearney for the Nebraska Cattlemen's Annual Meeting. So she's going to bring us a couple different reports coming up at 1219. She's going to be talking with uh, Travis Mullenix. Uh, he's with UNL and talking about some heifer reproduction. Then at 1245, uh, Deb Van Overbeck is with Oklahoma State talking about the beef quality audit. So she's going to be going over what that audit numbers had to say bringing us the results. And then at 119, Alan Vanellis joins me as we talk about two meetings that are coming up next week for producers to learn more about liens and, and leases and the things that they need to do and know heading into 2018. It's a free meeting brought to you by Legal Aid in Nebraska and the Rural Response Hotline, so that's next week. So a few uh-huh. things going on for all of us. Stand by, Minnesota native uh, Susan Littlefield, because Jason Jorgensen has a note for you. Susan, what happened in the basketball game last night between the Huskers and the Gophers? I have no idea. I didn't watch it because I don't follow basketball. I knew that would be her answer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he has some information for you. The the rest of us are kind of scratching our heads, too, after the Huskers were able to knock off the 14th-ranked Gophers last night. Winning that one, the Huskers were able to bring back some of that old Pinnacle Bank magic after they built that place. Nebraska was so tough there at the vault. Up next for the Huskers, they will take on Creighton, who put up 111 points last night in their matchup. And, of course, the Blue Jays have had their way against the Huskers for quite a while. And even though Central Florida has their new head coach, Josh Heupel, Scott Frost will coach the bowl game, the Peach Bowl, for the Knights. We'll get the thoughts of Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose and why he thought that would be a decent idea for Frost to go ahead and do that. Also, speaking of... uh, basketball the husker women are on the road tonight at ku the jayhawks are seven and zero this year you know an outgoing coach getting able to do that last bowl game i, I don't know why they don't do, don't do that more often i agree Dirk. a lot of it has to do with timing and the coaching staffs and recruiting but this worked out for everybody all right and uh i don't know potential government shutdown bob president trump is uh saying a government shutdown could happen on saturday we emphasize could uh, he's blaming the Democrats for their stance on immigration. They're digging their feet in and wanting some kind of uh, immigration reform. So we'll just see what happens on that. Stocks are holding steady in midday trading, and uh, U.S. businesses add a lot of jobs in November. All this and more coming your way today on Midday.
Well, the season has finally arrived. It's crisp. It's, uh, well, I guess you could say a little more than cool out there. And, well, I, I have some other terms for it, but I find that good for radio listening. <laughs> yeah, you've got some uh, interesting numbers here, and we're get, getting into them here. Brought to you by uh, Holdridge Irrigation. Here's Paul Perkins. We do have those winds continuing to pick up across the area. Also, cloud cover increasing. It looks like we're mostly cloudy to the north of I-80. Otherwise, some partly cloudy skies as you head to the south of I-80. Some light snow continuing to move across northern areas of Nebraska. Right now, a broken band of snow, mainly on the light basis from about West Point to around Norfolk, on up to around, well, we'll say, Rose and uh, to the south of Bassett, also to the south of Ainsworth, and also into West and Central Cherry County. That disturbance gradually sliding to the southeast today, and our temperatures not very nice, upper 30s to low 40s in many locations. We've had a 46-mile-an-hour wind gusts being reported within the last hour at Goodland. Some light snow flurries, sprinkles, they're all possible today thanks to disturbance dropping southeast. Now, due to the dry air in place, little or no accumulation expected, just a dusting at best. Northwest winds going to be strong. The strongest of those gusts, about 40 to 45 from the Panhandle to southwest Nebraska and northwest Kansas. Probably some gusts into the 30s in some areas of central and east Nebraska and Kansas. Right now here at the KRVN studio, we have some wind gusts up to about 33. Clearing skies tonight. Some lighter winds will return as high pressure drops in from the northwest. Now, our temperatures tonight are going to be the coldest of the season so far. It's going to be even colder tomorrow. Another push of cold air arrives with another area of high pressure. There will be a warming trend, though, for Friday into the weekend. Some south winds will kick in on the backside of this area of high pressure that will track to the southeast. A cold front Sunday night will cool our temperatures off for early next week. Then increasing moisture could lead to maybe some chances of light rain or snow early next week, but not looking at any major events right now. In the long-term forecast, temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas are forecast to be Mostly warmer than normal, Monday through December 19th. Now, eastern sections of Nebraska and Kansas, a little closer to seasonal during that time period. Our precipitation forecast holds on to that prediction of near-normal moisture across Nebraska and below-normal precipitation for Kansas Monday through the 19th. The weather factors driving the markets include cold and mainly dry weather for the U.S. and hotter and dry conditions affecting Argentina, warmer weather, Expected to develop across the western U.S. as a ridge of high pressure becomes more established. Otherwise, multiple surges of cold air will engulf roughly the eastern half of the U.S. and be accompanied by gusty winds and light snow, especially from the Midwest into the Northeast. Final harvest conditions in the eastern Midwest will improve with colder and drier weather. Heavy snow, though, over the weekend could occur east of Lake Michigan. Beneficial weather continues in Brazil for soybean and first corn development with tropical showers in central areas of Brazil and scattered rain with warm temperatures in eastern Brazil. Not so good for those conditions in Argentina right now. Dryness concerns remain for soybean and corn areas from eastern Cordoba and Santa Fe to northern Buenos Aires. That's after an extended period of below normal rain. There is a chance of scattered rain on Friday. Otherwise, though, it's going to be dry through next Thursday and somewhat hotter due to the establishment of La Nina. Now, La Nina tends to bring a lot more moisture to Australia like they saw over the weekend. Australia wheat areas run the risk of loss after those heavy rains this last weekend. Drier conditions in the next week, though, will improve the conditions for the mature wheat at harvest. Ag information, the ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, and they are, of course, your ranky dealer. I uh, I can't help but feel that niggling little uh, short 
prediction that you put into your forecast there, a general warming trend through the 19th? Yes, uh, looks like yeah. once we get past this kind of next few days here uh, on into Thursday, uh, tomorrow, we're probably looking at some milder weather uh, starting up on Friday as we get on the backside of that area of high pressure. Otherwise, just some surges of cold air for a couple of days here. All right. Well, for the benefit of all of our producers and their stock, uh-huh. I think that we are all heartened a little bit by that. Anytime we can get above that and stay above that. Especially when it comes to some moisture, and then it tends to fall maybe as some rain as opposed to that white stuff. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Very good. And uh, when you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. allowing ag producers to try new technologies and methods. I'm Shaylee Peters with a midday check of your ag news here on the Rural Radio Network. A new University of Nebraska-Lincoln-led partnership is helping agricultural producers explore emerging technologies and identify ways to strengthen profitability without increasing risk during the growing season. Organized by Nebraska Extension and Nebraska Water Balance Alliance, the University of Nebraska-Lincoln testing ag performance solutions, farm management competition involved managing center pivot irrigated corn 17 producers squared off against university sciences and two student groups in three categories most profitable farm highest input use efficiency and greatest grain yield we came up with the idea for the unl taps competition as a way to help producers become familiar with new ag technologies and techniques while also leveraging a peer-to-peer exchange of information said duran redneck assistant professor of biological systems engineering and agricultural water management specialist with Nebraska Extension. The competition took place at the university's West Central and Extension Center in North Platte. Each participant managed three small plots under a variable rate irrigation system. Preseason decisions included hybrid selection, population density, and crop insurance selection. Each week, participants made decisions regarding irrigation and nitrogen management and grain marketing. Decisions were submitted through a password-protected website, which also included in season photographs of the plots, weather data, and additional farm management resources. And on Tuesday, Senators Jerry Moran of Kansas and Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota led a bipartisan effort to delay the implementation of ELD mandate for livestock and insect haulers. In a letter to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Democratic Leader Chuck Schumer, the Senators expressed support for language included in the House-passed Transportation, Housing, and Urban Development Appropriations Bill that effectively delays the ELD mandate for one year to allow the industry to work with Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration to address the strict House of Service rules that transporters must abide by. USCA Transportation Committee Chairman Steve Hilker issued the following statement. We applaud each and every senator who signed on to this letter for showing their support of small business owners in rural and agricultural America. A vast majority of livestock haulers are both the owner and operator of their business, and this upcoming regulation will disproportionately affect our ability to do business efficiently and affordably. And Jason and Kara Purdue of York were named the recipient of the 2017 Young Farmers and Ranchers Excellence in Agriculture Award. The award was given December 5th at the Membership Recognition Luncheon during the Nebraska Farm Bureau's 100th Annual Convention held in Kearney, Nebraska. Jason and Kara Purdue of York County Farm Bureau were recognized for their ongoing involvement and commitment to agriculture. The Excellence in Agriculture Award is designed to recognize young farmers and ranchers for their contribution and involvement in Farm Bureau and agriculture.
And finally, increased U.S. ethanol production could translate into higher mark for conventional ethanol under the renewable fuel standard than the current 15 billion gallon level, according to the Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Scott Pruitt. While some have criticized EPA for not increasing its biofuel targets for biomass-based biodiesel and conventional ethanol, Pruitt said in a December 1st interview that the agency sets the mandate targets as objectively as possible. When the export of ethanol is put into the mix, Pruitt said he was encouraged that the industry would break the cap. Should that happen, Pruitt said, we can reset that number and go above the cap. And that's a quick check of your midday ag news. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters joining you here from Kearney. The Nebraska Cattlemen's Annual Convention is happening this week. Yesterday kicked off with Cattlemen's College, and I've got Travis Mullenix here with me. He's an assistant professor of beef production systems and a specialist. And Travis, you are fairly new to Nebraska, so welcome. And you addressed producers yesterday at Cattlemen's College about reproduction. And we'll start off by talking about one of the big things that you start with anyway, nutrition as it relates to reproduction so yeah especially when you're talking about these uh, younger females uh, that nutrition is plays a vital role of uh, increasing their retention rate increasing their pregnancy rate and so uh, when we think about uh, management of, of heifers you know there's areas that uh, we want to focus on first is you know older heifers tend to have increased longevity but also the earlier we can get heifers bred the increased likelihood that we can increase their longevity as well um, and so there's an area that we're really focused on is uh, maybe an area that's called nutrient imprinting so imprinting heifers early in their life to their environment that they're going to get the demands of uh, the breeding season has uh, so they will be better suited at adapting and, and rebreeding uh, as a young cows uh, in that really um, lower quality uh, environment that they may be expected to rebreed as a two and three year old S. And you talked about adaptability. What does that look like? And when you're starting to breed for adaptability, how long does that typically take? What were you telling producers there? So yeah, well, so I typically and thinking outside the box, I think I. I adaptability in the realms of uh, athletes training for uh, certain events. So if you're training for like a marathon, you're not going to go out and run a full marathon without training for it. And so to prepare yourself, whether or not it's like a 16-week training protocol, you're going to increase the stress on your body and your body is going to adapt to that stress over time. And so if that stress is enough, then you'll then the animal or you will adapt to that level of stress. If it's insufficient, then there's never adaption to it. And we find that that taking heifers out of um, their breeding environment and put them in like a feedlot tends to uh, it may not allow them to actually have this increased adaptability of rebreeding as a two-year-old because of of not being exposed to that type of environment during a breeding season before. Anything additionally as we wrap up here and as you uh, address producers and really start to uh, work with them on a lot of the different projects you've got going on? Yeah, I would say, you know, 
pay special attention to to your young cows and how you manage them because uh, when you think about the the cost going in to either heifer develop purchasing a heifer um, it takes anywhere from three to thirteen years to actually start making money back on that on that young cow so we really got what to pay attention to you know how, what we're doing early in their life uh, to really increase our profitability and so pay really close attention to how you're managing your young cows and and the nutritional environment that we're rebreeding those cows the following uh, year. All right, thanks so much. It's Travis Mullenix, Assistant Professor of Beef Production Systems Specialist from yesterday's Cattlemen's College, kicking off Nebraska Cattlemen's Annual Meeting. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgenden. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, Nebraska may have discovered some of its old magic last night at Pinnacle Bank Arena as Glenn Watson Jr. scored 20 of his game-high 29 points in the second half as Nebraska opened up a 16-point halftime lead early on in the second en route to a 78-68 win over 14th-ranked Minnesota. The Gophers made just two of their first ten shots in the second half and struggled all night against the Huskers switching man-to-man defense. And Watson feels that was the key to the big win. Um, it felt great. I mean, we came in, quick turnaround. We just executed our stuff, played good defense. That's what we need to start doing, and we got a good win. I mean, we know we never know when our shots not going to fall, so. That's what, um, what we came out and did. Next up for the Huskers is a big, tough game against Creighton. Speaking of the Blue Jays, they blew out North Dakota last night, 111-68. to The Husker women play at Kansas tonight. It's NU's first trip to Lawrence since the Huskers left for the Big Ten Conference. KU's having a nice year. They are 7-0. Nebraska's 5-3. Tip-off tonight at Lawrence is set for 7. Even though Central Florida has hired Josh Heupel as its new football coach, Scott Frost will coach the Knights in the Peach Bowl. Athletic Director Bill Moose has no issues with Frost doing this. You can't put a price tag on it. It's a three-and-a-half-hour marketing commercial for Nebraska football because that's what those guys are going to be talking about, the announcers. They're going to be showing Scott Frost in Nebraska and all this, and then our recruits are going to be watching that offense and everything and going, boy, I, I could fit into that for whatever small negatives there might be there's tons more of positive central florida will play auburn in the peach bowl on january 1st at 11 30 central time less than a year after willie taggart inspired the oregon ducks with his tagline do something oregon is searching for a new coach oregon's players were summoned to a meeting of the team's football complex yesterday for the announcement that taggart had accepted the coaching job at florida state in the nba stephen curry will miss a minimum of two weeks after an mri exam on his injured right ankle yesterday Reveal the sprain. The Warriors say their leading scorer and two-time league MVP will be evaluated in a couple of weeks. That means Curry is out for tonight's game in his hometown of Charlotte. This year, Curry was averaging 26 points and 7 assists per game. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More at Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Scattered flurries in the forecast tonight, lows from 11 to 15 degrees. I'm Dave Schroeder. Governor Pete Ricketts signed a proclamation recognizing tomorrow as Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day and order all flags to be flown at half-staff tomorrow. We have people who were part of history, no. a very defining moment in American history when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor and launched us into World War II. 
Three of Nebraska's four known living Pearl Harbor survivors were in attendance at the proclamation signing. Walter Barcel of Wahoo, who was stationed on shore the day of the attack. Ed Guthrie of Omaha, who was stationed on the USS Whitney. Melvin Kennedy of Grand Island, who was stationed on the USS Regal. Members of the Nebraska chapter of Sons and Daughters of Pearl Harbor survivors also attended and took part in the proclamation signing. Two men were arrested after six bags of marijuana were found in the minivan they were traveling in on Interstate 80. The Nebraska State Patrol says a trooper pulled over the minivan just before 3 p.m. Tuesday because of a traffic violation in Seward County. The patrol says a trooper then smelled marijuana coming from the vehicle and a subsequent search turned up nearly 127 pounds of pot inside the bags. The pot's street value was estimated at $378,000. Two California men were arrested on suspicion of possession for sale and suspicion of lacking a drug tax stamp. A former state senator has been named chief lobbyist for the University of Nebraska system. University President Hank Bounds announced that Heath Mello has been appointed associate vice president of university affairs and director of state relations. The Omaha Democrat replaces Ron Witham, another former state senator who'd been chief lobbyist for 20 years. Mello represented District 5 for eight years, leaving the legislature in January because of term limits. In May, he lost the race to become Omaha's mayor, beaten by incumbent Gene Stothert. Mello earned a bachelor's in political science from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. In Kansas, a county commissioner is questioning the light usage of a $73,000 gun locker at a courthouse. The gun locker's usage was reported at a Sedgwick County staff meeting this week under questioning from County Commission Chair David Unruh. He was the only commissioner who voted against the gun locker when it was approved in March. County officials say the locker has been used 62 times in the last six months, primarily by a pair of lawyers who regularly check their weapons when they go to court. Unruh says the locker is unnecessary and a waste of money. Commissioner Jim Howell says a gun locker is a matter of principle because people have a right to protect themselves. Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Shaylee Peters joining you now here on the Rural Radio Network. And I've got Deb Van Overbeck here with me. She's the Assistant Dean for Academic Programs, the College of Agricultural Sciences and Natural Resources at Oklahoma State University. You did a big presentation today on something that's very important, Deb, but not maybe very well known. It's always kind of an eye-opener for people that hear about the beef quality audit. And so talk to us about, there was a big one done in 2016 that was kind of all-encompassing. Talk to us about what exactly we're looking at here. Absolutely. So this is the 25-year snapshot, if you will, of beef quality for fed steers and heifers and cows and bulls, looking at nationwide what quality attributes we have and what quality attributes are desired in that beef product to our end users. And so being the 25-year snapshot, so we originally started in 1991 with fed steers and heifers and have done those periodically about every five years for fed steers and heifers and then cows and bulls separately. And in 2016, we combined that effort to do one audit nationwide looking at cows and bulls and fed steers and heifers together. Now, you kind of broke this down into two phases. Um, We'll start with phase one and really what we're looking at with that. Absolutely. So phase one is face-to-face interviews. So doing 
interviews and preset questions with packers, purveyors, retail, food service, further processors, asking them what they see in beef product and what they believe their customers would like to see. And so when we look at the big results um, and look at fed steers and heifers first, we see one of the big takeaways is that food safety and eating satisfaction are the most important to our end users. And when we look at cows and bulls, food safety and lean fat and bone are most important. And the reason I think we see lean fat and bone in cows and bulls is because that is more sporadic in terms of a yield percentage in cows than we see in fed steers and heifers. That's pretty much a known for packers and even retail and food service in terms of what they're going to see on, on production yield. Okay, and then as we transition into phase two, a little bit more detailed maybe. So phase two is our in-plant survey. And so going to each of the steer and heifer plants and the cow and bull plants across the country and doing one day's production and looking at what quality defects we see in the holding pins on the kill floor and in the cooler. And so if we look at fed steers and heifers first, this is the first time we've ever, look at, ever looked at transportation. And we see that we do have fed steers and heifers travel up to 800 miles in a truck to get to a plant. And so that could be some of the concern we've heard with mobility when those cattle arrive. But when we look at mobility on those animals, we have almost 97% that move easily and freely when they come off a truck. So that was a good success story for the industry to see that. When we move to the, to the harvest floor for fed steers and heifers, um, we do see a decrease in carcasses that are free of bruises, so that is an issue. Um, but part of that points to um, the fact that they are the minor bruises, primarily. Um, and a lot of that is pointing to the increase in animal size where we haven't changed the makeup of trucks. And so when we look at those minor bruises, most of them are on the loin and the round. And so there's been talk with transportation companies on um, potentially maybe redesigning those trucks to give animals more room to get to that lower deck so that we don't have them bumping as they go onto the truck. Certainly we've seen the, the rest of the industry trying to maybe catch up a little bit. So when we look at this big picture, and that's why you're here today, how does this translate back to the producer? You know, that's a great question. And so if we look at results over time, they're going to say there's no big one shining star in the 2016 audit. And that's true. There's not one thing that we need to pick up and run with. But I think what you can take to light and the take-home message for producers is there's lots of things that we can do maybe one or two percent better and that that's going to have a big impact on the industry. Bruises is a good one. Um, we have an increase in liver condemnations this year compared to the previous audits and so figuring out a way to manage liver condemnations is a potentially another. We also have, you know, when we get to the cooler, increased carcass weights. And so can we, um, carcass weights have increased 100 pounds in fed steers and heifers over the last 25 years. Um, and there, there's probably got to be a point where we say they, they don't need to be more than 1,000 pounds. And so how do we manage that 12% that are over 1,000 pounds? And so there are some little things that we can do from a production standpoint to improve the value. And as we back away from the production standpoint and take it back to the consumer, and not even necessarily the consumer, but people that are facilitating the consumer, um, you know, beyond the packing plants, what does that look like? Retail and food service had some great information that they shared with us in phase one. And a lot of times we think about the increased weight and the, the challenge with that from an end user standpoint in retail and food service. And they made a big point to share with us, you know, it's not about... Uh, they're not as much concerned about the increase in size as the consistency in size. And so looking at, can we have a box that's only 13 and 14 pound ribeyes so that we can put 
the 18 to 20 pound ribeyes together so that they know how to utilize that product best when it gets to them. Um, but they also shared with us one point that we maybe didn't know and that that's they've never really heard the term beef quality assurance where we hear that every time, every day, maybe in production systems, they don't know what it is. And so um, doing some things with potentially looking back and, and as they redo some of the marketing with um, beef it's what's for dinner and the video clips rethink the ranch potentially that information can share with that segment retail food service for the processors what beef quality assurance is all about and what producers are doing to care for their animals on a daily basis all right anything additionally as i've got you here deb and uh, you present this information to the producers firsthand but a lot of what you do is all across the board here there's a lot of information in the audit and and there's no way to even shorten it to an hour very easily um, so what I would do is I would just encourage producers to go to bqa.org and check out all the information, the four-page executive summaries, the longer executive summaries that exist on fed steers and heifers and cows and bulls. All right, thanks so much. It's Deb Van Overbeck, Agricultural Programs, College of Ag Sciences, Natural Resources at Oklahoma State University. From Kearney for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. Next up, we talk with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Not a lot of positive news in not just the livestock sector and grain sector, even the outside markets, but let's talk livestock today, Joe. Yeah, you were right. There hasn't been a lot of positive news. Yeah, the cattle uh, under some pressure again. Uh, continue to see uh, uh, pretty good liquidation uh, once again uh, from the long side, and really the news uh, helping uh, uh, keep the market under wraps and uh, down we came uh, cut, cut out sharply lower at noon obviously that didn't help uh, really no trade to speak of uh, that I've heard today and uh, that uh, kind of weighed on the market also and then you throw in uh, just a, a technical selling barrage and uh, we end up with some triple digit losses in the cattle and the feeders uh, and it didn't get much better for the hogs uh, uh, hogs uh, under uh, some pressure there too. Uh, uh, cash seemed to be steady, but and a little firmer. But uh, uh, once again, uh, the cutouts sharply lower at noon, and, and that caused some big concern. Now they did trade both sides of unchanged for a while, and then uh, came under uh, a lot bigger uh, selling pressure uh, later on in the session. So uh, uh, now discounted to the index. Uh, with the uh, nearby December, the other still pretty good premium. So that that helped uh, keep a lot of pressure on the back. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal can be reached at 800-328-0134. Total cattle slaughter first three days this week estimated 358,000, thousand more than last week. Hog slaughter at a million three hundred ninety-five thousand, thirty-one thousand more than last week. Opportunity to learn more about ag liens, loans, and leases. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Now, these workshops are free. The first one to be held in Davenport, December 13th at the Community Center, and Holdridge, December 14th at the Phelps County Ag Center. Lunch is provided for both, and the workshop set to run from 10 a.m. until 2.30 p.m. 
Alan Vanolik with the University of Nebraska is one of the speakers, and he'll talk about the importance of lease communications. Yeah, sure. So the leases section is going to be talking about uh, what a good farm lease looks like and the communication that goes into making a good one and then the some of the specific arrangements that can be made within a lease to make it a, a sound lease, uh, a lease that's equitable for both the landlord and the tenant. Uh, I want to talk about things like, well, I want to talk about things like um, uh, nutrient capacity of the soil. In other words, we want to protect the landlord to um, make sure that the tenant's not mining the soil and then leaving, a, a, let's say, a big cash lease, if it happens to be a big cash lease, uh, mine the soil and then leave that soil in poor shape for the next tenant. But I also want to protect the tenant, so if they've made a significant investment in a fertilizing, fertilizer package, for instance, that the landlord doesn't pull the lease on them and, then, and they have no... no um, recourse there. So we're going to talk about um, things like that, little little nuances to a lease arrangement that can make the lease more arrangement more equitable to both the landlord and the tenant. Now folks attending this are going to take away a lot of great information from all three of you that will be speaking, except that hopefully they can build that firm base to move forward in 2018. Exactly. The You know, the, you know Joe Haubacher, uh, our lawyer, the ag lawyer that's coming with the team, it's going to talk about liens, and he'll talk about the legal aspects of of dealing with liens, and who's first in line, and who's second in line, and all those kinds of things. When you if you have money owed, uh, and 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 uh, Dave Gaylor, um, who's working with Joe on on the farm um, hot, farmers hotline and, and the, the those types of calls, um, and retired from the UNA University actually had my job before I have it now. This one in, on campus, but anyway, Dave's going to be talking about. Loans and and from an ag loan perspective, what the numbers look like and and you know what you can service in terms of debt and what you can't and just some other nuances about loans that you have to keep track of in terms of their in terms of some of their um, legal considerations and just arrangements for setting a loan up properly. If folks want to find out more information, um, get signed up. Do they need to register ahead of time, Alan? Yeah, it'd be good. So we'd have, so we just, so we, I think the, the pro workshops are free, but it's just so we'd have enough handouts. People should call ahead of time. Uh, you know, it's going to be a good solid workshop. I mean, I'll, I'll be sure to throw in some stuff on uh, where we're at with current uh, rental values in case somebody wants to know where we're at with cash rents. Uh, but also talk about the oddball things that occur with cash leases or, or excuse me, all farm leases. And that is things like what happens with hunting rights. Uh, what happens with uh, corn stocks? Corn stocks are a big issue this fall because of all the down corn. I'll talk about some issues like that that just kind of are hanging out there that people need to be um, squared up on so we have good leases going to the future. But Alan Vanalek, again, if you would like to attend these workshops, they are free. The first one is December 13th in Davenport at the Community Center. Then in Holdridge, December 14th at the Phelps County Ag Center. The workshops run from 10 a.m. until 2.30 p.m., but they ask that you register ahead of time. Again, there's no charge, but pre-registration is requested by contacting the Rural Response Hotline. That number is 800-464-0258. Again, 800-464-0258. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network in a general commodity sell-off day today. We're with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. You don't have a lot of positive bullish news here. I think wheat got hurt the worst today. Yeah, I'm actually down here in wheat country, south central Kansas. I pull over here to talk to you this afternoon. It's uh, 
you know, like you said, broad-based sell-off, I think, you know, the, the wheat news we saw early in the day out of Canada, I mean, anything that's going to kind of tip the, the scales towards the downside in wheat is going to be, uh, I think, leading us lower, at least in the short run. That puts December somewhere right around the four-dollar level uh, for the December contract that's delivering here. It's not a speculative vehicle, but uh, you're just seeing continued price pressure as folks are kind of abandoning product and looking for a home for wheat uh, for what seems to be, I think, now the sixth rate delivery month where we've just continued to sell off. I look for better days ahead. I think the the price action we saw in corn and beans was very promising. Um, I, I you know looked up at my my phone a couple of times today and saw beans below ten dollars. The fact that we came back, which was uh, you know kind of a resistance level for some time, is now acting to support. I think that's a, a friendly sign for uh, for price action down the road. Have we got down the road any reports from USDA that we are going to be concerned about? Tuesday we'll have the WASD. So it'll be a week from today, uh, we'll get another report. Usually the December WASI is a little bit of a, let's say, a lazy report. They don't tend to adjust much. I think the trade may be looking for another week in, in corn and possibly an export cut, but I really don't look for much. In, you know, right now we're just meandering somewhere around 350, much like the December contract did before it went off uh, into delivery period. So uh, shorter term, uh, I think we've, you know, it's, it's going to be a two-step forward, one-step back type of rally. Uh, if we're going to get a rally, I, I don't look for something that's really streak higher here in the short run. Um, you know, weather forecasts out of Argentina, I, I wasn't really too up on those today, but I'm assuming maybe we saw a little better chance of moisture. That could have cracked the soybean trade. But the fact that we held $10 and 350 I think those are just good signs longer term here uh, as the producers kind of make decisions about what they're going to plan a year from now. How about, yes, pricing opportunities here. Can we adjust our, our plans when it comes to sh- small rallies? I think, you know, 370, I'm still optimistic 370, 375 on March. I know it feels like a long way away right now, but I think there will be something that breaks here in the next couple of weeks and, and months that will encourage some buying. We're just so short, you know, and, and just to think that we're going to keep the carry press like this. Uh, you know, producers I'm, I'm talking to are going to be uh, planning less, that's for sure. Thanks, John. John Payne. Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. For more information, contact danielsagmarketing.com. Dewey Nelson reporting on the Rural Radio Network.